0: Well, as we end our Easter egg series today, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been betrayed? (laughs) Have you ever been brokenhearted? Ever been let down by people? Maybe you've had a a trusted friend who you shared secrets with, share those secrets to other people. Maybe you've had a spouse who was unfaithful to you. Maybe you've had a leader or employer who's let you down. Maybe you've had a loved one who you've had conflict with and they've ridden you off or family that has abandoned you in your time of need. Maybe you know what it's like to be let down by people, to be super disappointed in someone, to have a broken heart. If you've experienced that, you'll know it's painful. It's suffering. You can feel very alone in that pain. And very often, the big question is, how do I trust again? Like, it it affects all of your relationships. But if you've ever felt that, if you've been let down by another human being, can I ask you a favor, just for a second, just lift your hand and leave it up for me. Okay. Can you look around the room? I hope that you are slightly encouraged that this is part of the human experience. In fact, as we read through Scripture, what we see again and again is the Bible is not shy to highlight betrayal and deceit and unfaithfulness. We see this kind of unfaithfulness in ministry and story after story from Joshua to David, from Jesus to Paul. We see that people kind of let each other down, but the pain of it is still there. And today's story that we're going to be looking at, for me, it's quite a big deal. Because what God asks of someone, He asks them to get into a relationship with someone who will betray them. He's going to ask, God's going to ask a man to get into a relationship with someone who's going to break his heart, and the story's going to be full of pain, and we know that every time we've experienced heartache, it's painful. In fact, he's going to ask us of a prophet. We see many prophets in scripture, and uh, I want to just speak a little bit about prophecy quickly so we have a clear understanding of what prophecy looks like, how that functions. Yeah. So I want to share this illustration with you, and it's a story I'm told that happened in 1936 and with King Henry VIII. Apparently in England, he was going to give his king's speech, his annual king's speech. It was going to be broadcast not just in, in England, but it was going to be actually broadcast around the world. This was quite a big deal for 1936 for a king's speech to be live and on the radio, and broadcasts around the world. Okay, so this was a big moment. that set up for it. The technology was there. And apparently, just before the king's speech, someone running in the studio, they tripped, their foot hooked on one of the main cables, and the cable broke. Now, the king, I mean, imagine letting down the king, plus all the millions of people sitting by their radios, just waiting for the king. Imagine being in that guy. So they literally apparently had seconds to make a plan. And one of these engineers, in a moment of genius, he, he, he ran to the cable and he grabbed the one side that was broken and then he grabbed the other side and he himself became the join. He became the conduit. He became the vessel that the king's message traveled through. And this is a beautiful example of what prophecy is. Prophecy is someone who is able to grab the signal of God, the voice of God, the word of God for his people and then transmit that voice, to the nations. This is a great example of what prophecy is like. So that guy became the living message. He became part of the message. He became the transmission to the nations. So in scripture what we see is that many people were assigned and called as prophets to be those who would declare God's voice to the nations. And they didn't always do it the same way. Prophets would often operate in three different ways. Some would operate through proclamation. Everyone say proclamation. Proclamation. Uh, This means that they would proclaim God's word. They would speak. They would speak into the issues of the day. They would speak into the current affairs. They would be the declaration of God, sometimes bringing rebuke, or reprimand, sometimes bringing encouragement. But they weren't always used to proclaim. Sometimes the prophets were used to predict. Everyone say prediction. So this was when God would use the prophets to speak about future events, future occurrences, give them a glimpse to the things that were still to be, still coming up, even up to the second coming of Christ. There are still some of those predictions that we are still waiting for the fulfillment of. So they'd be used with proclamations, with predictions. And the third way that we're going to kind of hone in on today, that prophets would be used would be through demonstration. Everyone say demonstration. Now with a demonstration, God would ask these prophets to play a part, to play a role, and sometimes to use a prop. Right, sometimes we've even done that here while we're preaching. We use a prop, we use a physical illustration to show you what God has in mind, what he's trying to say to his people. But as you read through the Old Testament, what you see is that these demonstrations got pretty hectic. Well, I am going to start with like the easy ones. We see these kind of demonstrations in the book of uh, Jeremiah, where Jeremiah in chapter 19, he goes to the valley of Hinnon with the clay jars, and he smashes those clay jars. And this was supposed to be a symbol of the destruction that was coming upon Jerusalem. We see also in Jeremiah 27, where... He literally, Jeremiah, puts on the yoke. You know the yoke, that big wooden thing that would connect the oxen as they plowed the fields? Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 27, wore a a yoke, and this was to be symbolic of the bondage that they would experience under the Babylonian Empire. So there was two demonstrations with Jeremiah, but it, it gets more hectic than that. Let's look at Ezekiel. Look at someone and say, poor Ezekiel. Yeah, here's the demonstrations God asked him to perform he had to lie on his left side of his body for 390 days that's over a year lying in. i mean can you imagine the bed sores the diseases the infection that must have come even today we still struggle to keep those things under control imagine back then and then god asked him to kind of balance it out and lie on his right side but only for a month right so it's 390 days one side a month the other side. And this was just so that his life could be a demonstration of the amount of time that these nations were disobeying God and were not in um, obedience to him. And then God says, after this, like I said, poor Ezekiel, God asked him to only make food using, to make his fire, he had to burn human feces, human poo. For those of you who don't know what feces. And this was kind of Ezekiel's line. He's like, God, I just can't do that. Like, I've never defiled myself. i got, please, God, please don't, please don't. And eventually, God actually relents and says, okay, I'll let you use cow dung. So I'll only make your food with cow dung. And this was supposed to just represent the dirtiness and the filth that had happened in Jerusalem. So Jeremiah and Ezekiel were these demonstrative prophets. God used them. But then I think it even gets worse with poor Isaiah. We actually see in the book of Isaiah, chapter 20, that God asked Isaiah to live naked for three years. Three years to walk around naked, minister naked, just do everything naked. He was supposed to be the physical physical representation of the humility and shame that was about to come upon the Egyptians and the Ethiopians. Okay, so... It can get pretty bad. I mean, these demonstrations, I think if we had prophets today do that. Imagine getting a guest prophet and they rock up naked, right? And they're like, God told me. We were like, get out the church, right? These demonstrations were pretty hectic, but it gets worse. In fact, what I think is the pinnacle of demonstrative prophecy happens with a guy who I would not be out of all the demonstrative prophets. This is the one guy I would really not want to be. I'd rather live naked for three years. And his name is Hosea. Everyone say Hosea. Hosea. Hosea's entire life was used as a demonstrative prophecy. And what God had asked Hosea to do was to go and marry a prostitute. To go and take take a prostitute as his wife. And we're going to see why God is asking him of this. But essentially in Hosea's entire life had it become a role play. It had to become a living example of God's relationship with his people. And so let's see this request right in the beginning of the book of Hosea. If you're not familiar with it, go to the Old Testament. It's a book after the book of Daniel. And if you have your Bibles, join me there in Hosea chapter 1 from verse 2 says when the Lord began speaking to Israel through Hosea he said to him go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution God's kind of giving Hosea a preview of the heartache that he's going to experience he's like you're going to commit to a woman who's not going to be committed to you you're going to be commit to a woman you're going to take on a wife who's going to end up becoming a prostitute even though you have kids with her Even though you are raising these children and God is saying, what I want you to do, Hosea, is I want you to play my part in the story. In fact, he clarifies, God clarifies why he's doing this. The second part of verse 2 in Hosea chapter 1 verse 2, he says, God said, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. God is saying, Israel, I I want you guys to know that this is how it feels when you don't put me first. And I want to say that message still applies even today. You know, there's lots of things in this world we can love. And there's lots of things in this world we can love more than God. We can love people more than God, position more than God, money more than God. In fact, scriptures told us that that's probably going to be the number one competitor in your heart we can love these things in a way that we love them more than him and anytime you love something more than god it's idolatry you've made that thing that person that position you've made it an idol and actually this is what it feels like to god he's like i'm in covenant with you and you're cheating on me you're loving something else more than me he's using hosea to be this physical representation of what what it's like for the heart of god what it must feel like in God's heart. We know what it's like to experience the pain of adultery, but do you know that God can experience that same pain when you love something else, when you pursue something else? And so Hosea takes Gomer, his wife, and he marries her. Now I'll be honest, I remember the first time I read this story. I think I was actually in the year of your life here at the church in Bible school. And I remember thinking as the story started, like, oh, I know what the ending is going to be. I know what God's going to do here. God is asking Hosea to marry her because she's going to change. Like he's asking, he's saying, Hosea, I want you to go take a prostitute as your wife so that you can change her. Right. In my mind, I was like, this is like the pretty woman movie. Right, someone's going to find a prostitute, they're going to fall in love, and then everything's going to be like a happy ever after. Everything's going to work out the same. But the reality isn't that. Hosea marries Goma, and she does not stay faithful. In fact, she is unfaithful to him again and again. She, after their marriage, gets involved in prostitution. Husbands, can you even imagine what that must be like for your wife to become a prostitute? After you've had kids with her, can you imagine the pain of this on your kids? Now, some of you know my story. I grew up in a house where there was adultery. My father had several affairs. I got to see firsthand, first of all, what that does to a spouse, how much they can break down a spouse. I got to experience some of that pain as a kid in that house. So there's a lot that I relate to in the story with Hosea. And I was just thinking, he's going through this pain, but also he has to manage his kid's pain watch them go through this incredible suffering and in fact it is a suffering for the sake of love and obedience to god that is our first precursor to jesus it shows us jesus actually what you're going to start seeing is that hosea's entire life in ministry is a clue it's a foreshadowing to the ministry and life of jesus christ did you know that even the name hosea is the name for jesus in hebrew In Hebrew the name Jesus Joshua Yahweh is Hosea this is Hosea was a foreshadow he's showing the love of Jesus Christ and so here we have a prophet sent by God to make a covenant with unfaithful people and it will cause him a lot of pain and suffering and he's doing this why not my will but your will he is a reflection of Christ in our lives in fact as you read the story of Hosea, it's meant to remind you of another relationship, your relationship with God. Because if we're to be honest, we've all been Gomer, right? Even after we've come to Christ, even after we've created that covenant of love, even after we've been saved, we've been her. We've been unfaithful. We've committed spiritual prostitution. Where we have loved other things more than God. Where we've put other things above God, even in our own hearts. And this story shows us the heart of God in this. First of all, that God yearns for us. He wants us back. And for those of you who are maybe in that place where there is spiritual prostitution in your heart right now. But you're far from your first love you're far from god you've wandered off the path i want you to know that the heart of god yearns for relationship with you he yearns for you he's heartbroken by the lack of relationship he's heartbroken by the lack of intimacy between you and him the heart of god wants you back and we're going to see that happening right in this story of Hosea. so Hosea gives his life for someone who's going to be unfaithful and i remember reading this and thinking This just feels unfair, doesn't it? Like, first of all, like, God would use a man to do this. Like, his whole life now, and his whole family, and his whole reputation, this is a godly man who kept the rules, who did things right. His entire family and reputation are now tainted because of God. Because it just feels unfair that this holy man would have to take on someone else's sin. But then it does kind of remind me of another story, where if you think about it hard enough and long enough, it also feels unfair. And that's what Jesus did for us. He who knew no sin became sin. He who did no wrong took on our wrong. It's, a, it's, showing, it's showing, it's like a mirror. It's showing us us. It's showing us what it is like. I mean, the grace of God is so unfair. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And so as we read the story, we see things with Goma go from bad to worse. In fact, her life becomes such a mess, she keeps on getting involved in prostitution. Hosea is trying to get it back. Eventually, she's so far gone, she's in so much trouble, and she has so much debt that she is sold into slavery. And it's at this point where we're going to find these incredible words from God, I can imagine Hosea finding out she's being sold to slavery. That must have been completely soul-crushing to hear, must have been so hard on these kids. But then the Lord says to him these words, in Hosea chapter 3 verse 1, then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though, can everyone say "Even even though, even though she commits adultery with another lover. You must think how hard this must have been to hear these words for Hosea, to love her even though, but he's doing this so that you and I would know that no matter what we go through in this life, no matter what you have done, no matter how many times you have fallen and sinned, and and maybe you've turned your back on God, he can look at your life and say, even though I will love you again. Even though you have done this, I'm still for you. I'm not against you. Even though you have been unfaithful, I have remained faithful. Even though you have been uncommitted, I have remained committed. Even though you have lost me, you've fallen out of love with me, my love has never run out of from you. It has never left you. It's never given up on you, even though all of those things have happened in your life. I'm still committed to this. I'm still in this relationship. In fact, that's exactly what God says in Isaiah chapter 3 verse 1, the second part. He says, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. And then these two beautiful words again. Even though, everyone say "Even even though. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship him. Guys, this is a story of God's commitment to us. A story of his incredible forgiveness when we don't deserve another chance. It's a story of God's faithfulness and love, and it's always been God's story. If you read scripture right from Adam to Israel, from Jesus to Revelation, what we see is that God remains faithful. In fact, he's the only one who is always faithful. He's a faithful one. When we look at Israel, what we see is God entered a relationship with Israel, and they just kept on. I mean, God provided for them, protected them, looked after them, set them free. He spoke to them. And even though He did everything with Israel, they rejected Him. They chose other gods. They turned their back on Him. But God never gave up. And He'll never give up on you. He'll never give up on you. Because this is what God keeps on doing. He loves us again. And in our story, I want to remind you, Scripture says that when Jesus finds us, we are also slaves. We're slaves to our sin. The Bible says that when Jesus finds us, sin is our master. We're, We're slaves. We're helpless. We have no control. We have no hope with our sinful nature. Every single one of us are in the bondage of slavery, of sin. What you and I need is a Hosea. What we need is a Jesus. What we need is someone who will also come and say, even though you've put yourself there, even though you've messed up, even though you've made these mistakes, I still love you and I will set you free out of that slavery. I will be the one who comes and redeems you. And so he says, love your wife again, even though she's been unfaithful. Go back. And I do think it forces us to confront our own spiritual prostitution. And right now, in this moment, wherever you are, that's what I want you to think about for a second. Is there something or someone in your life that right now you're more committed to than God? That you love more than Him? Are you you committing spiritual adultery? This story confronts us. It, It kind of demands that we just have that The moment of reflection where we look at our lives and say, God, is that me? Am I Gomer right now in this story? Am I the one who is sold into slavery? And so it says in Hosea chapter 3 verse 2, Hosea does exactly that. It says, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. I, I can't even imagine, guys, what it must have been like for Hosea to go to that auction, that slave auction. Imagine walking in the crowd, and it's your wife who is presented before everyone. The customary of this day, we're told, is that they would be naked. If you're going to buy a slave, they're presented naked. And so there she is, your wife, in front of all these people being paraded and sold on a stage completely naked, everything bare. He could see all the abuse all the neglect he could see everything and while she stood there in the crowd and people are busy bidding on his wife he puts up his hand and says I will buy her I will purchase her and guys I want to remind you that that is us we're the ones who are naked before God he sees everything you might think things are hidden from him but they're not when he finds us we're these slaves lost in our sin a lot because of even our own decisions. We sometimes put ourselves there. But when God looks at us, you might not even see your worth and your value. But when God looks at you, he says, I will buy you, I will purchase you. And so Hosea does this for 15 pieces of silver, which really shows us that no one thought you was much worth. We read in Leviticus and a few chapters before that even a slave that had been gouged by an ox was worth 30 pieces of silver. Here she is, half the price of an injured slave. No one wants her. No one sees her worth. And I probably would imagine that not even Goma could see her own worth. She thought she was worthy of a life of prostitution. She probably thought she deserved the slavery. And yet the heart of God still saw her worth. He still saw her value. And I want to say to some of you who think God's given up on you. He sees no more hope. He sees no more potential. You think you've run out of chances. You have no value to Him. I want to say that's a lie from the pit of hell. God has created you with purpose and on purpose, and He has bought you with a price. In fact, this is what we're told in the book of 1 Corinthians. It says in chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, you do not belong to yourself. Look at someone and say, I don't belong to me. And you want to know why you don't belong to yourself? Because you are a slave And someone bought you. Someone purchased you. It says, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. He didn't even spend 15 pieces of silver. He gave his most valuable thing for you. Most valuable thing, his only son for you, because you have value. And I don't know how much spiritual prostitution you've committed. How many, I don't know how many times you've fallen out of a relationship with God. How many times you've got angry with Him or walked away from Him or given up on Him. I don't know how much you've sinned and what you've been involved in. But this so clearly shows us the heart of God that even though all those things have happened, He still loves you. He still loves you. And He wants you home. He wants you back. He wants you free of the bondage of slavery. And so the question is today, Like, will you respond to this overwhelming love of God? I mean, I don't know how we don't respond to this. Like, How do we not just come to God and say, God, thank you. Thank you. You did for me what I could not do for myself. It wasn't fair, but you did it anyway. You gave me what I don't deserve. And maybe you're feeling like, no, God, I need to earn this. I need to do something. I used to be close to you, but now I'm so far away and, and the enemy's going to trick you. He's going to get you to believe that in order to get back home, that you're going to have to jump through hoops and prove yourself to God. Perhaps you can think of a time where you and God were so close and you think, oh, I just wish I could be close to God like that again. But, oh, there's, it, the process, and I don't know if God would accept me. And Guys, you're one prayer away. You're one prayer away from intimacy. You're one prayer away from closeness with God. He's calling you home. You were never saved because you were good enough. Even when he found you, he found you in prostitution. He found you loving other things. And he created covenant with you anyway. You've never deserved this and you've never earned it. It's all Jesus It's all Jesus. It's all a gift so that no man can boast. This entire thing called grace is given to you. Salvation is given to you. You didn't earn it in the first place. You don't have to earn it today. You don't have to earn it now. Come back home. Respond to his love. So maybe you're not in the place you should be right now. Maybe you've done some things that you're not proud of. Maybe you can't remember it. Remember the last time you even prayed or read God's word or spend time with him. There is a Hosea in your life that has brought you back and he's calling you home. And guys, this is a theme of scripture again and again. It's a theme of Jesus' ministry for sure. We see it in the story of the prodigal son where this boy takes his father's inheritance, spoils it, gets lost in prostitution and alcohol, breaks God's law, And then he comes back home and the father welcomes him home. We see this in the encounter with Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. He's like, we're not condemning you. Don't do this anymore. But I'm not condemning you. We see this. In the interaction with Jesus and Peter who denies him publicly and the next time he sees Jesus, Jesus is making breakfast for him on the beach. We see it here in this reflection, this Easter egg, this foreshadowing in the life of Hosea who welcomes Goma home and he doesn't point out her sins. We see no record of him saying, but Goma, you did this and don't forget you were unfaithful and he doesn't shame her. He just brings her back home. And then we're told in the book of one John, chapter one, verse nine, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Everyone say faithful. I think that word is more special in light of the story. He's faithful and he's just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Church, he has the truth. Jesus is faithful even when you're not, he's committed. Even when you're unsure, he's gracious, even when you don't deserve it. And he loves you, even when you don't love him. We have a Hosea in our lives. I want us to respond to that kind of grace today. In fact, I want to ask you to close your eyes. I want to pray for those of you who are struggling today in your relationship with God perhaps you've taken a bit of a detour you've got involved in spiritual prostitution you've put other things other things above God, comfort money people, power, position there is a Hosea in your life Jesus He's bought you with a high price. And even though you've done all those things today, he's inviting you home. He's offering forgiveness. Now in this moment, the devil's going to whisper shame in your ear. He's going to whisper condemnation. He loves it when you feel shame because it makes you hide from God. Don't allow him to do that. As you today confess your sins, know that you are forgiven and you are purified. God sees that sin no more. In fact, you might even want to say just in your heart, just pray, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've loved other things more than you. I'm sorry. I've had idols in my life, but I, I commit to love you most and love you more than all these other things. I want to come back home. Please forgive me for my spiritual prostitution, for my spiritual adultery. Forgive me, God. And know that whatever it is you're asking forgiveness for, whatever it is, you're forgiven. So God, I thank you for your people. I thank you, God, even though we've been unfaithful. Every one of us. Some of our... Unfaithfulness has affected other people. We've hurt others, God. Every one of us in this room have been hurt by other people. We've been betrayed. We've been let down. God, thank you that we are reminded today that you will never do that to us. You are the faithful one. You've never let us down, Lord. You never could. That you're not a man that you should lie. God, that we can trust you fully, and so we do. We trust you with our lives. We give you everything, and we put you above everything, Lord. Forgive us, God, for everything we've indulged in, for everything we've done, everything we've said, everything that didn't honor you, God. We ask for forgiveness, and I thank you, God, that we can come boldly back home knowing that we've been bought with a high price. We've never deserved it. We never will. And that's why we'll always be grateful, Lord for your grace. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.